Well, we frequently remember the last time we did something, or maybe the last time that we saw somebody that was really important to us. And I remember a good friend of mine who uh, was my accountability partner. We had walked through so many different things together, um, including church planning, including pastoring, because we were both pastors. And uh, it was always just a powerful time. He was just that perfect blend of uh, of light and salt and of truth, but yet mixed up with humor. He could always make me laugh, even in the times in which I was struggling the most. And I remember the time, though, the last day before he had tragically passed away. And when he had passed away, I immediately booked a flight to go back to L.A. to fly back for his wake and his funeral service, and I was just profoundly gripped by the shortness of his life. He was no more than five years uh, my elder. And I was just gripped by the, the shortness and the brevity of life and also death. I remember that he had made a request to me before since I was living in Houston, and I had, I had talked to him and talked to him, and, um, and uh, he gave me this request, and I, I never really quite went there. I never quite dialed in on it. And I just kept on procrastinating because there's so many other things to do. But after he passed away, and it all became different because, you know, when he passed away, the only thing that I can think about was the thing that he had asked me to do. And I would stop at nothing to fulfill his request to me. And so that's what I did. And so I responded to life in a different way. Now, if we respond to life's last moments like this, how much more should we respond not just to life circumstances but to God's word? What if you knew that this was the last sermon that you will ever hear in your life? What if you knew that you would be judged not by what you have heard or what you can remember but what you have done after this sermon? I think a lot of us, can think back to 2019 and, and have you ever asked yourself what was last that last message of 2019 about and chances are we probably can't remember i mean i, I actually couldn't remember i was in the right book but i got the wrong passage but jesus he ends the most famous sermon of all time with these words left ringing in the ears of his hearers and the challenge for us is that if this is the last sermon you will hear in 2020, Jesus' question is this, are you treating this message and every message like the last sermon you'll ever hear? Do you treat it as you are going to respond to God's word, that you're so hungry to be changed and you want to be changed now that you're willing to do whatever it says? Or is this a message that's just a filler message to take you to 2021? I want to take a second look at Jesus' final words in Matthew chapter 7. And we want to ask this question, who are that? What, what does it look like to be truly changed by God's word? So let, if you would, uh, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Jesus says, everyone then, on, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, 
and great was the fall of it. The one way that we have to know that we are approaching God's word the right way, what is that one way that we see here from this text? Well, the first thing that we see is that we've got to be able to check our foundations. It's upon your foundations that everything is hinges upon. If your foundation is firm, then anything you build on top will be secure. I mean, have you ever, your kids, or have you ever built a marble course? Um, one of those marble courses that uh, rests on a series of blocks, and then tracks, and then mixed up with all tops of blocks, and then more blocks, and then more blocks, and then uh, the one that goes around and around in a spiral. I don't know if you've ever done that, but my kids, whenever they build it, they somehow forget to read the, sometimes they forget to read the instructions. Sometimes they just want to build whatever they see in front of them. And then only to the end, then we realize, oh man, we should have used the blue brick instead of the red brick. And so they, what, we, what we try to do is just try to swap out the very bottom. But what happens? Everything comes tumbling down. And that's what it is in our, own, in our own lives with our response to God's word. It's our foundation, our bedrock, that every time we hear God's word, that do we do it with great weight and do we do what it says? Is our foundation grounded upon, I am going to obey every, God's, every one of God's word? Or does it just crumble and fall because our foundation is not solid. The psalmist speaks of the perfection of God's word, saying in Psalm 19.7, that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. Jeremiah the prophet also brings it home, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. If we truly believed this word, this clear and present word that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, rebuke, and training in righteousness. Shouldn't every word be a hammer that hits our soul? Shouldn't every single word that we hear be like a fire that just burns our very souls? The doctrine of right knowing and right living are inseparable. I mean, if your doctrine is wrong, your life will be wrong. In this passage, we see that Jesus is contrasting these two builders. The first builder built his house on the rock. The second built his house on the sand. And Jesus may have been actually drawing from a personal experience, learning from his dad as a carpenter in Nazareth. And when we see back in Jesus' time, it that it wouldn't be important not to be fooled by the surface conditions, right? When, especially when you're building right in the areas of the, of the Sea of Galilee and those, in those places, which is the setting, you see that area is pretty semi-arid, and it, the sand is hugging the seashore, and it would become hardened on the surface during those hot summer months. But when the winter rains would come, the winds would blow, and this would cause the Jordan River to just overflow its blanks, banks, making it soft again. And as a result, anything built on that sound foundation would just wipe away with the current. That's why Jesus calls him the wise man. He checks his foundation. He would dig as much as 10 times and 10 feet below to find the bedrock. Then he would build his foundation on it, his house on it. In the same way, the person who lives uh, out what he listens to is compared to the wise person that builds his house, his foundation on a bedrock that stands firm between, behind the steady torrent of flood and rains and winds. 
And Jesus says, anyone who builds their foundation on him, that they hear and they do God's word, is stable and secure. Take a look at the the warning in verses 26 and 27. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. A person who refuses to act upon hearing Jesus' words is like that foolish man who builds his house on that shifting bank and that shifting sand that just collapses under the first glimpse of rains or the floods or the winds. Jesus is giving a challenge to them and also to his people. He said, hey, you're going to either choose me or the popular religious establishment. You see, the sand represents that shallow, that surface foundations of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. You know, at the very bottom of them, they only had surface level religiosity. But when the troubles came, when the winds blew, the windstorms, the rains, and the floods of life came crashing down, the entire house came crashing down too. And notice how Jesus concludes the description of the foolish man. Great was the fall of it. You don't want to leave this text without stopping for a moment and receiving that warning. Listen to it again. Great was the fall of it. This points to the fact that the one who builds his house on a sand meets nothing but total destruction. If you live for Jesus as your foundation, this will cost you everything. But if you live for the comfort and the pleasures of this world now and you live for the sandy and the shifting sands of this culture and ignore his word, it will be to your ruin. That's waiting. Jesus calls us to take a deep, deep look underneath at our hearts and our lives. Take a good look at your lives. Hope family, are you walking authentically before the face of Jesus? Do you love his word and only want to do, have a desire to do what he says? Or are you letting the troubles and the frustrations of life or the discouragements or the disappointments make your love for Jesus grow cold? Look out for any hint of cooling. Look out for anything that would, uh, just, would just substitute for just sand. Just like sand foundation that just kind of sifts through your fingers. Is that your foundation? Or is your foundation not only hearing the word of God, but obedience to Jesus? Make sure he is your first love. And here at Hope, we desire to be just a vision of authentic biblical Christianity. In other words, we want to be scripture on display. As Aaron Garvin so eloquently put it last week, that we would be scripture on display, right? All of us come messy. All of us come broken and in desperate need of Jesus to come and save us. We're all broken people in a broken world. And if, if, if this past 24 hours doesn't show us that, I don't know what will. We are broken people. We are shot through with sin. And we are, because of our sin, because we de- deserve God's judgment, we are, we are enemies to the God who made us. And not only that, but we could become discouraged by the people and the events around us. And, you know, maybe you're just, you just cut, cut it back because there's going to be no stimulus checks coming. 
um, at least at this time. Or maybe you checked out the news and you're just depressed because you heard about the explosion in Nashville and, and you're, just, uh, just, you're just torn to, to shreds about that. Or maybe it's just the weariness of this COVID season. Or maybe just you're coming off a fresh conflict with people in your family or maybe a family member who is lost or is hurting or feels hurt. Whatever it is, whatever you're looking for, he, Jesus, he has come for this broken world. He has come for sinners just like you and I because he know, we, we know we cannot last in eternity without him. So that's why God himself came into this earth so that we can live in eternity with him. And that's the most magnificent news this Christmas as we just celebrated that Jesus Christ came to earth to rid us of our self-deceit and our self-deception that we are okay and also that we are, can get on by ourselves. But he has come to remind us that we are but fools and we need the wisdom of Jesus Christ who is our wisdom and our sanctification and our redemption. He, we needed him to come to save us from our foolishness. And he's done that by living a sinless life dying on the cross for our sins and rising again to show that we are loved, we are forgiven, we are secure, and we are really loved by God. That's what the hymn says. When we trust in Christ by faith and we live for him as our Lord and King, we have a stable and secure foundation. As the hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other uh, ground is shifting sand. That means that our lives are fraught with troubles and trials. It means that we are authentic with our real sin struggles. But it also means that we're authentic in our need for Jesus. That we are trusting him with every ounce of our souls, of every ounce of our bodies. And we are saying, God, I cannot save myself, but I need your Holy Spirit, God. I am desperately needing your Spirit to come into my brokenness of my sin and to be able to live out in broken obedience to you. God, fill me up with your power. And are we leaning on him only to support us even as life comes crashing down? Whenever you come to hope, we hope that you see people that wrestle with those two great truths, the brokenness of ourselves, but the brightness, the radiance of the Savior that lives in us, that we are broken people, but we are just authentically trying to go hard after Christ and to love him, to be faithful to what the Bible teaches, truly living it out, surrendered by the power of the Spirit. And that's what biblical authenticity looks like. It means that there's no, there, there's no division between what you listen to and what you know and what you, what you live like, that your doctrine and that your your life is like a doxology, and it's just a, a one praise song uh, to him and to him alone. Authenticity, though, in the world's eyes is rooted in self. It's the world trumpets an authenticity of looking inward. Just looking uh, to yourself. Be who you're called to be. Listen to your heart. Or as Mr. Miyagi says in The Karate Kid, the karate is not in belts, but it's in your hearts. Right? It, we, we trumpet that all the time that it's just really found within yourself. 
And, but the Bible's idea of authenticity is just radically different. It's not about finding your inner self. It's finding that you're created for something beyond yourself. And the way to live is not found in just looking deeper inside of you, but in trusting in somebody greater than ourselves, trusting in King Jesus and depending on his power to save us and to live through us as we surrender our lives to him. There's no greater freedom, there's no greater joy than being able to throw our lives to King Jesus and say, God, take all of me. I'm yours. I'm surrendered to you. Take it, and I surrender to you. And so what we see, what do we see the response of those who heard Jesus' last, or last, or the last words? Look, look at verse 28, back in chapter 7. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus' words of amazement in the crowds because he taught them using his own authority, unlike the scribes. From what we can see here, the crowds were astonished at Jesus' ability to teach. He is speaking as one who has uh, given them new commands and not ones that just kind of repeated and parroted all the other uh, traditions and, and laws and commands of their day. But we see this, that this was at the very root of it, was just an emotional reaction. The word here just says that this was just external in nature. In other words, this was just emotions, right? In other words, there was no change of heart. And so it just, they were wowed by it, but there was no lasting transformation. And we know that the crowds followed him because if you look in chapter 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. But that was just following him down the mountain. At most, it stopped there. They admired a man who had great healing power. They clicked like and they followed him. But was it really surrendering all that they had? When you look at the rest of, of Matthew, as we're going to see in the, in the following passages, as Peter and I unpack um, these passages, chapter 9, verse 18 through 22, you see that there are people who want to follow Jesus. There's people who are wanting to, to, to go after Jesus, but Jesus challenges them in verses 18 through 22. For the guy, for the disciple, for the scribe, actually, that wanted to follow um, Jesus, Jesus responds back with a challenge. And he responds and says, well, hey, master, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, well, the son of man, birds have, birds have, have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And another person said, you know, let me bury my own father, meaning let me wait till his retirement years after I finish taking care of him, after he finishes his last breath, then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus says, come, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Let the dead bury their dead. And Jesus is giving that challenge. He says, if you're going to surrender everything to me, then it will mean everything. It will cost you your very life. And so this is the command, the challenge that Jesus has given us. We are not told that we are called just to be his followers in name or emotional reaction or when we hear a certain sermon or we hear a certain song, but that Jesus would demand our very lives. I remember one of the highlights of my early life was um, 
uh, meeting a movie star. And if you don't know him, that's okay. It just really probably dates me. Uh, but I, I remember uh, meeting Nicolas Cage um, as a college student. And he was my commencement meet speaker and uh, for our university uh, ceremonies. And we were hired um, as VIP uh, uh, ushers. Uh, for Nicolas Cage. And so, you know, people were so excited. They're like, oh, you know, Nicolas Cage, they had just seen the movie The Rock and Face Off and all of Con Air, and they, they've seen all these, these great movies from, uh, from, from Nick Cage. And, and then also, at that time, he was dating a, a lady by the name of Lisa Marie Presley. And so everybody was just like, whoa, they were just so awed at this, um, this person coming to bigger in life. And then he also brought Lisa Marie and when you saw them coming out of the limo, there were like two people that were like larger than life. And so, you know, I studied up for this. <laughs> uh, this is the time before uh, Facebook and probably Wikipedia. And, and so I kind of, I, I wanted to prep up for this. So don't judge me, okay? So uh, I, I, I read up on him, on his history, his likes, his dislikes, and I found out that he actually liked comic books. So I was like, okay, I'm going to ask him this great question about, hey, man, you know, um, how's your comic book collection of some sort? And so um, I remember coming up to him, and uh, uh, we were taking pictures and doing all that and kind of mingling with Nicolas Cage. And then I asked him, hey, um, hey, do you collect comic books? I heard you're a fan. And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. And he starts brightening up because now he's finally having probably a real-life conversation about something he really likes. And he's like, hey, do you like comic books too? And <laughs> And I was totally ashamed of what I said. I was like, something, something, I said something to the effect of, oh, not really. I just have like a couple of old Spider-Man comic books, but that's about it. Something lame like that. And you could just see his face. He was just like, oh, this guy is just trying to earn some brownie points. And you know, like, I realized as after I met him, it just, he was just an ordinary guy. I thought he'd actually be a little bit taller. <laughs> um, but he was actually maybe just maybe an inch taller than me and but after that, after that experience, life was just normal. Nothing changed about my life. It didn't make any practical difference in my life. It didn't change the fact that I still had one more year of college. It didn't change the fact of wanting me to, to, to start a comic book collection or to collect all of movies. It didn't sanctify me in any way. It wowed me, but it didn't change me. And if we've ever been wowed by a mere man or even a mere woman, how much more should we be changed when we come before the King of Kings? How much should we look to Jesus and be completely changed because we've had an encounter with the living Christ of the universe? Jesus is no movie star. He is no mere photo op. He's not worthy of my admiration only. That I could just study him and not only be wowed by him and astonished, but not be left changed. We are left changed by him. Every moment that I spend with Jesus Christ, every time I come before his word, his word changes me, it rips at me, it compels me, it crushes me, and it moves me to action because he is my Lord and my Savior. And that's the more, the more I want to be in step with Jesus. I don't want to treat Jesus just like a movie star or a photo op. I want to obey him because he is like that. He's calling me to be that, like that wise master builder who built his house on the rock. 
and I want to go deeper with him, more than I've ever have, ever before, than ever have, even in 2020. The, everything that we've experienced and I've experienced in 2020, I do not want to be left looking the same next year. And it so has left me hungry for him. And I hope that for you, as on the eve of this last sermon that you will hear for 2020, that it will leave you also stirring and hungry for God and hungry for a fresh move of the Spirit. Maybe that is you today. Maybe you are struggling in some deep unrest or some kind of tension and you just realize that you want to dive deeper with God and you want to walk side by side with Him in the Spirit. And if you're going to do that, you're going to enter a time of deep surrender. And just in a few minutes, I just want us to spend some time to just pause and reflect and really examine our hearts, to really see what God is stirring in our hearts. And that's why we're called to be an authentic reflection of biblical Christianity. There's nothing in your life that God doesn't see. And so my encouragement is just to be real before him in this time as you ask to be surrendered to God, lay anything, uh, failures or struggles or worries or disappointments at his feet and let him change you. Let his word uh, rock you. Let him, just, let him just speak into you so that it would not just fall by the wayside of your mind and slip through like sand, but it would change into living. And so as, as we invite the music and the, the prayer team to come forward, I just want to move into a time. Before we do that, I want to encourage us uh, to spend some time before the Lord. We're going to enter a time of post-sermon prayer, and if this is something on your hearts and if this is something that um, just you're really resonating with, we want to encourage you to come up. No matter what it is, it will be a privilege and a joy to be able to pray with you, um, just to come before the Lord together and to war for you in prayer. So covenant member or guest, we just want to invite you to come and to pray. Um, we just ask that uh, one man pray with one man and one woman pray with an, uh, another woman or, or, or couples um, can pray in any combination. Um, but maybe for you, this is a time of self-reflection and just a time of uh, just asking the Lord to come before him and examining your hearts. And this is what, what we'll do. We'll uh, spend some time, and if I can invite you to, just to, to bow down. First of all, I want to invite you to meditate on the gospel. Meditate on the good news that in the midst of the brokenness of our lives, the midst of the, the brokenness that we see all around us, that God in Him grace and in love has saved you. And that He has saved you not by any works that you have done, but purely by His grace. And so you just meditate on the gospel of, Jesus, of grace, that Jesus Christ has come down as a baby, lived a sinless life, and has come to rescue your soul and praise him for who he is and for what he has done in your life. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. 
as you spend this time in prayer, will you ask the Lord and come before him and just authentically say, Lord, I lay down my burdens, whatever, whatever it is, God, whatever struggles, disappointments, failures, guilt, I lay it down at the foot of the cross and bring it before him. And then after that, I'd like you to just really meditate on, Lord, is there anything that you're calling me to obey? Is there anything that I need to surrender to you in this next 2021, in this next year? Come before him in authenticity. Come before him and listen and respond. Respond quickly. And even if you need prayer, we want to invite you to come up and and to pray and to ask the Lord to move in this time. Father, we just thank you so much for the time of self-reflection. And Lord, we just pray that you would move in this time powerfully, even as as we think and we pray and meditate on the gospel. We pray that we would do this knowing that we come authentically before you we lay everything down to you. So let's spend the next few minutes coming before him. Then after that, we can sing and uh, you can come up for prayer as you feel led. Let's continue to pray.